One, I'm extremely excited to be with you. I do thank you for having me today, and uh, I was tickled when Brother Herbert invited me. I appreciate him. I appreciate his ministry to, um, I guess some people would call me a young pastor. I, I tell people all the time, I'm a 1971 model. I'm going to move this thing. I can't see over it. I hope y'all don't mind. I'm a 1971 model, but I'm high mileage. But us, quote-unquote, young pastors, we do appreciate, brother. We appreciate those who've been faithful in the ministry. It's an encouragement to us. We do pray the Lord will bless us and be pleased with us as His children this week. I want to encourage you, someone has taken the time to print it out, to put it up on the screen, the uh, Scripture text that I will attempt to preach from throughout this week. I want to challenge you, during the week, you read them. It's God's Word. Let His hearts, let His Word speak to your heart. I'll do a, make a mess out of trying to preach it, but you, you read it ahead of time as you come and be prepared that way. Uh, I'll attempt to preach a series we'll called, uh, What Did the Cross Look Like? Just as we'll try to, um, brush up a little bit and revisit the cross we'll, as we approach and look forward to the Easter season and all the activities that will go to that. It'll do us well to look back at the cross and revisit that inexhaustible grace that God has given to us and that was demonstrated on that cross. I'm going to ask if you're able, in deference to God's Word, would you please stand for the reading of His Word? We'll read from Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 10. I read from the King James, whatever you have there. You just read it and uh, to yourself, and I'll read it aloud. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one unto his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears. He is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and for judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet... It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Please be seated. Let us pray. Our merciful Heavenly Father, if it will be pleasing to you now to allow me to preach your word to these your people who were purchased with the precious blood of the Lamb. Father, I ask now that you would help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said, I trust you'll bear with me. My voice is weak, and I might as well tell you, you're going to figure it out anyhow. I'm not a real good speaker. I don't have a great grasp of the English language and all that stuff. I'll do the best I can, though. But I did have in mind, I thought about it coming here, and I'm excited to be here about this young preacher boy. He was fresh out of seminary, still wet behind the ears, and he was called to this church to go preach, and preaching his trial sermon, he was so excited. 
He wanted to impress everybody, so he decided he would use every theological term he could think of. He would use every big word he could think of. And he even made up a few because he figured them old country bumpkins wouldn't know no different anyhow. And when he was done, he was so impressed with himself. And they had ushered him to the back to end the service, and he thought surely people would come by and be very impressed with him too. Well, they went by and people were being cordial, but there was one elderly lady who was stern looking, and as she approached him, she stuck her hand out and she shook her hand and she said, Boy, I don't care what you say. I still believe in God. (laughs) I'll try not to make that big of a mess this morning. I may before the week's out, but we'll do, I'll do the best I can with it. That's maybe why it was the Lord's will not for me to go to seminary. It'd be something else I can mess up and something else to mess up with. But we'll do, we'll do the best we can with the text this morning. If you will, turn your attention now with me in Isaiah chapter 53. I'm going to offer you five points to consider the text with while noting the fact that God was looking ahead, projecting through the pen and the prophet Isaiah towards the cross. Now, let me couch all of my future comments in this. God is eternal. God does not wear a watch. God did not have to set His clock an hour ahead this morning. He is eternal. He's not confined to the halls of time. However, when He created us, when He created everything, He created time. He created time, space, and matter. So when I say looking ahead, I keep in mind, there was never a time in the heart and mind of God where the cross won't go happen. It was never speculation. It was never on the list of things to do, and we hope we get them done. If God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Amen. So when He placed these things in our economy of time, when I say looking ahead to that, keep that in mind, I'm speaking from our perspective of time. In verses 1 and 2, the first thing I want us to recognize this morning, and I will in no way exhaust this text. I'll squeeze on it a little bit and we'll get a little bit out of it, but I will in no way exhaust this text. But we'll just look at a few things as we move through it. And the first thing I want us to see is there will always be those who will not hear. There will always be those who will not hear. In verses 1 and 2, God through the prophet Isaiah says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up prophesying of Jesus Christ before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. There will always be those who will not hear. Isaiah was fully aware. He knew it from personal experience, as does anyone who testifies of God, knows people will reject God and reject what He has said. They weren't going to listen. The last verse of the chapter, of the previous chapter, even foretold that the gospel would be headed to the Gentiles. His people were going to reject Him. The Messiah would be rejected by most. In John chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, He says He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came to His own, and they received Him not. Isaiah told of His coming. Isaiah, hundreds of years before it happened, God declared He would send His Son. He told us He was coming. When it did happen, the angels announced His birth. John the Baptist foretold, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when John the Baptist baptized him, God Himself spoke and said, This is My Son. Listen to Him. There will always be those who will not listen. Jesus Himself announced that He was here to bring deliverance to the captives. 
to bring healing and to preach to those. But there will be those who will not listen. Yet, God knowing there would always be those who would not listen, and yet the text tells us it still pleased God to bruise Him. Let that settle in. It still pleased God to bruise Him. God's still looking forward to the cross. If I somehow knew I was going to do something or you were going to do something for me, just tremendously sacrificial, and you knew I, ahead of time I would spit on that gift and reject it, would you be looking forward to it? Matter of fact, we would probably even reconsider and say, you know what? Never mind. You won't appreciate it anyhow. Amen or oh me. But God was looking ahead. He knew all along people would reject Him. God saw beforehand. God knew. The world might not have been looking for Him. The world may be looking the other way from Him. But God saw and God knew. Amen. Look what it says. He, was, he, he shall grow up before Him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He had no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. See, He was not only ignored, but He was opposed. A tender plant. In dry ground. From the lowly conditions he grew up in, in the dead ground of Judaism, which should have been prepared to receive its Messiah. Now, before we go looking down our spiritual noses too far at the Pharisees, let's keep in mind, has not Jesus told us he was coming back? Amen. Are we living every minute like we believe it, though? Amen. They've done the same thing. Amen. Same hearts we have as they do. It was cultivated by the wretched Pharisees. It was laid by in hypocrisy. And His true identity was only visible to the eye of faith. There were those who didn't want to see Him. rejected Him. His humble means and upbringing, they were not consistent with what mankind wanted to believe about the Messiah that would be delivered to them. He was supposed to confront the Gentiles and the Samaritans, not the chief priests and the elders. That wasn't supposed to happen, how it was supposed to happen. He was supposed to be the vaunted son of David. Not the son of Mary and Joseph, and we all know how that got started, as they would look at it. He was supposed to overthrow Rome, not the tables of the money changers in the temple. Despised and rejected. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. He was supposed to come in pomp and splendor, not as a baby in a manger. But God saw all of that. God knew every bit of it. And yet, it pleased God to bruise him as he was looking ahead to the cross. Just as Jesus taught us in Matthew in Mark chapter 4, the kingdom of God sprouts and grows when most don't even know it. God was at work. He had no form or beauty, as it says here, that we would desire him. In other words, it wasn't his physical attractiveness. Moses was declared to have been a beautiful baby. David was declared to have been ruggedly handsome. Samson and Saul and Avery... We're head and shoulders standing stood. Okay, you're right. I was making sure they were awake. <laughs> you worried me, brother. You're talking about keeping them awake and stirring them up. I'm thinking, great. Now I put them to sleep. I'd rather them start out of sleep. Let me wake them up. I'm just kidding. Moses was a beautiful baby. David was supposed to be ruggedly handsome. Samson and Saul stood head and shoulders above the bed. They were admired for their physical attractiveness. Not so with Jesus. That wasn't what was going to attract him. Today, we would describe Him as just nondescript. However, He was the Lamb of God. Amen. Predetermined, predestined, foreordained to pay for our sins, to go to that cross. 
God was looking ahead to it. Second thing we'll see in verses 3 and 4, there will always be those, same way, just as they won't hear, they will not believe. But God, nevertheless, is still making faith available to us. To not be accepted is one thing. To be rejected and despised is another. Hear that word this morning. Despised. You ever felt despised? You ever felt hated? Verses 3 and 4. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, that he was smitten of God and afflicted. Ever felt rejected? There are those who, but the very people that should love them the most, who should protect them the most, who should care for them and, and warm their hearts the most, have rejected them. Those scars are real in people's hearts. Jesus felt it too. God knew that's how His people would treat His Son. And yet, it says... It pleased God to bruise him. And yet, knowing all of that, God's still looking forward to the cross and would carry that plan out. How, church? We wouldn't. Hopefully we'll see the answer when we get to the end of it. He would suffer not only external abuse. We all know what they've done to him. And we'll cover that a little more as the week goes on. But the internal grief of those who would not believe in Matthew twenty three thirty seven, he had told them, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, if you would have just listened, I would have gathered you like a mother hen under my wing. But no, no, you rejected me. They wouldn't listen. He was despised. He was rejected. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, the text said. In verse 4, as He healed all kinds of manner and sickness and illness, raised people's children from the dead, and yet we denied Him. He was beat by the hands of men. He was spit on. He was accused of being crazy, demon-possessed, a drunkard and a glutton, a friend of sinners. Well, hallelujah! I'm glad He's a friend of sinners. Amen. He was rejected. He was denied. And yet and still... And in spite of all that, God still looking forward to the cross declares in verse 10, it pleased God to bruise him. In verse 5, the third thing we'll see, he acted on our behalf. In spite of all that rejection, notice the hour and we's in that text. Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with His stripes, we are healed. In spite of the fact we will not listen most of the time. In spite of the fact knowing He would reject Him. In spite of that fact, God was still acting on our behalf. Looking ahead to that cross. Declaring it pleased God to bruise Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For He hath made Him to be sin who knew no sin. None. He done nothing wrong. His brother Herbert were telling the children, he was arrested, but it won't because of any crime he had committed. he done nothing wrong. The rest of that verse says that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He suffered the chastisement of God to procure our peace with God. He was taking our punishment 
God was looking ahead to that moment. And He knew you. And He knew me. There's no expiration date on that verse. Show it to me. He says for hours. I fit in there. That's me. That little sinner that was born in Keelan, Virginia. I grew up. Rebellious by nature. I fit in that verse. So do you. Our sins. Our transgressions. Sin has consequences and somehow God looks forward and declares to us, it pleased God to bruise Him. Fourth thing we'll see in verse 6, all of us are like sheep. No matter what translation you're reading, it don't say some of us. All of us. How many is all? All. Every one of them. All. That's all of us. I know we want to look differently sometimes. Look down our nose at people. So, preacher, I'm not as bad as you are. I ain't as bad as that person. I may be, I may be bad, but I, I've never done that over there. Again, amen or oh me, we all are like this. Now, I've got my sins over here, but I ain't as bad as that person over there. It's like I tell people all the time, when it's my grandma gossiping, it's okay, she's sweet, she don't mean nothing by it. When it's your grandma gossiping, wow, that backbiting thing, her. Don't, don't she know she's a sinner? We have all these own standards that we want. What does that verse say? All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us. Ain't none no better than the rest. It might not be good English, but it's good preaching. All of us have fallen away. There is none righteous, no, not one. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Please, church. Please, brothers and sisters. I know we know this already. Let it sink in fresh and new. We're all just a bunch of sinners. But God looking ahead from this time to that day knew He would take your sin, He would take my sin, and lay it on Jesus Christ. All of us. The iniquity of us all. You know that sin you look at somebody else and you can't believe how they are? And somebody else is looking at you going, I can't believe how they are. He laid them all on there. All of them. On Him. Every one of them. To those this morning who may not have a true and real relationship with Jesus Christ, I say to you, you may not care. You may say, I'm all right, preacher. Don't you worry about me. I'll tell you what the Bible says. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is destruction. What does this verse say right here? Everyone is turned to what? His own way. See, we don't get to determine it. We don't get to decide what the rules are. We ain't God. I tell people all the time, if we building something, and I'm up on there building it, and you down on the ground measuring, and you using a metric tape measure, and I'm using a standard, we're going to have a problem. We're not the standard. God is. And He's declared we're all guilty. He was perfect. He was innocent of any sin. And yet... God saw fit to lay on Him the iniquity of us all and to declare that it pleased God to bruise Him. My final point, His affliction in verses 7-10. through God looking ahead to the cross because He is looking ahead to mine and your eternity. God was looking ahead to that cross because He was looking ahead to securing mine and your eternity. In verse 7, he says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears, he's dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He didn't say a thing. First Peter 1.19, verse 18, interesting thing. It's interesting to me, I always tell people all the time, we get this misconception that, uh, you know, God, just like, you know, some guy up in heaven, just with a bunch of rules, don't do this. I'll slap you down if you do that. Just like it's a bunch of rules. If you read Scripture, you'll see what God does. He'll tell you what not to do, and then He'll tell you what to do. Amen. If He tells you to take something out, He'll tell you what to put back in its place. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, He tells you what don't redeem you. Nothing on this earth, conversations, traditions, it can't, salvation can't be handed down. There's nothing tangible on this earth going to redeem you. He tells you none of that, but verse 19, He tells you what does. And He says you were redeemed with the precious Blood of the Lamb. Amen. Redeemed. Bought back from that sin nature. He was quiet. You know why he didn't yell for justice? As Brother Herbert was giving us and narrating when they came to him, Judas betrayed him with a kiss. He won't hollering for his lawyer then. He won't hitting his phone and texting his lawyer, get on the go. He didn't say anything. He didn't yell for his own innocence. You know why? Because he was taking hours. He didn't yell for justice because if justice was truly served, every one of us would end up in hell. He was quiet, taking our sins to the cross. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, that the just, the just for the unjust, Him for us, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but now having been made alive in the Spirit. It says he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare this generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. He done this for us. He done it for his people initially. They had rejected him. He done it for those of that generation who would then accept him. And down the line to us, God was looking ahead to that cross. God was declaring it pleased me to bruise him. Because He was securing our eternity. In verse 9, He made His grave with the wicked and made His rich with death. Because He had done no violence, neither was any deceit in His mouth. Because of His disgraceful death on that cursed tree between two criminals, it would be easy to sit back and think, well, He'll be buried, thrown away somewhere, or disgraced in His burial. But not so. God even prophesied just as He would be crucified between two criminals, but that He would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Now why would God tell us hundreds of years before that that He was going to borrow a tomb? I'll tell you why. Because He won't go need it but for three days. He was coming out of it. God knew. God was looking ahead to that day. He knew it would please Him to bruise Him because He knew He wouldn't stay there. He would pay for our sins. He would go to that grave. Every one of us has a grave. But because of Jesus Christ, when mine and your grave is occupied, we won't be there. Amen. Because He's come out of it. Amen. Why did it please God to bruise Him? I'll tell you why. Because the only other alternative for us to pay for for that sin before a holy and just God would be to spend all eternity in hell. But we don't have to. Because Jesus paid for every one of those sins. He went to the grave for us and He's come out before us. Hallelujah! He's done it for us. God was looking ahead to that cross for a reason. So sinners like me and you wouldn't have to die and go to hell. We don't have to wonder what happens after death. 
He's declared it for us. Verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Do you realize, church, we are his seed? Amen. That's us. That is us. He was the first fruits of the resurrection. And you and I are of that seed. Why did God tell Isaiah he was looking ahead to that day? And it would please God to bruise him? I'll tell you why. So he didn't have to punish us for all eternity. He was that perfect sacrifice. He'd done it for us. He went to the tomb for us. And he's come out of the tomb for us. Oh, he's looking ahead to that cross. We need to be looking back at it. Let us pray. Merciful Father God, forgive me if I've done any injury to your text. I thank you, dear Lord, for this opportunity, dear Father, this privilege I am unworthy of to stand before an open Bible, to stand at this sacred desk, and to stand before uh, your, your people, dear Lord, who were purchased with the precious blood of the Lamb. I pray, O oh, merciful Lord, now, if you would appropriate your word to the hearts of these, your people, in Jesus' name, amen. amen.